This is day 63 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing 1 Kings chapters 20 through 22, and then we will go into 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2. Lord Heavenly Father, who are we that you have brought us this far? We are nothing, Lord, but yet you've given us value. You've given us a purpose. You've given us so much that we can't say you've ever given us the bare minimum, Lord. You've given us so much that we are largely ungrateful for, uh, that we may recognize the blessings and provisions that come from your hand and our complete dependence on you, that we would appreciate you for who you are and what you've done. Please bless this time as we enter into your word, that we may examine this truth and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army, and there were thirty-two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and fought against it. Then he sent messengers to the city, to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your most beautiful wives and children are also mine. The king of Israel replied, It is according to your word, my lord, O king. I am yours, and all that I have. Then the messengers returned and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Surely I sent to you, saying, You shall give me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow I will send my servants to you, and they will search your house and the houses of your servants. And whatever is desirable in your eyes, they will take in their hand and carry away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Please observe and see how this man is looking for trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. All the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you sent for to your servant at the first I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, May the gods do so to me and more also, if the dust of Samaria will suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. Then the king of Israel replied, Tell him, Let not him who girds on his armor boast like him who takes it off. When Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking with the kings in the temporary shelters, he said this to his servants, Station yourselves. So they stationed themselves against the city. Now behold, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver them into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ahab said, By whom? So he said, Thus says the Lord, By the young men of the rulers of the provinces. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? And he answered, You. 
that he mustered the young men of the rulers of the provinces, and there were two hundred and thirty-two. And after them he mustered all the people, even all the sons of Israel, seven thousand. They went out at noon, while Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the temporary shelters with the thirty-two kings who helped him. The young men of the rulers of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, Men have come out from Samaria. Then he said, If they have come out for peace, take them alive. Or, if they have come out for war, take them alive. So these went out from the city, the young men of the rulers of the provinces, and the army which followed them. They killed each his man, and the Aramaeans fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on a horse with horsemen. The king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots, and killed the Aramaeans with a great slaughter. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, and observe and see what you have to do. For at the turn of the year, the king of Aram will come up against you. Now the servants of the king of Aram said to him, Their gods are gods of the mountains, therefore they are stronger than we, but rather let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. Do this thing, remove the kings each from his place, and put captains in their place, and muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice, and did so. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Aramaeans, and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered, and were provisioned, and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel camped before them like two little flocks of goats but the Aramaeans filled the country. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Aramaeans have said, The Lord is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they camped, one over against the other seven days. And on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed of the Aramaeans one hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and the wall fell on twenty-seven thousand men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. His servant said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save your life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, 
Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men took this as an omen, and quickly catching his word, said, Your brother, Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go, bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he took him up into the chariot. Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you shall make streets for yourself in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Ahab said, And I will let you go with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to another by the word of the Lord, Please, strike me. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not listened to the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have departed from me, a lion will kill you. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion found him and killed him. Then he found another man and said, Please, strike me. And the man struck him, wounding him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed by, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hastily took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him, that he was of the prophets. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came to his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else. If it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard, 
Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in the city. Now she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth at the head of the people, and seat two worthless men before him, and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth had been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil on the side of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there is no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done. 
whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. It came about when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah, made horns of iron for himself, and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you will gore the Aramaeans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah? Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me 
nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, like sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah the son of Chenaanah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat king of Judah went up against Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariots, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely this is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint in the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. The battle raged that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Aramaeans, and died at evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army close to sunset, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his country. So the king died, and was brought to Samaria, 
and they buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab, and all that he did, and the ivory house which he built, and all the cities which he built, were they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son became king in his place. Now Jehoshaphat the son of Asa became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned twenty-five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shili. He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might which he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? The remnant of the Sodomites who remained in the days of his father Asa, he expelled from the land. Now there was no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go for the ships, were broken at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of his father David. And Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab, and Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go! Inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from the sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. When the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you returned? They said to him, A man came up to meet us 
and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? They answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. Elijah replied to the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So he again sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. Elijah replied to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So he again sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. When the third captain of fifty went up, he came and bowed down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, O man of God, please let my life and the lives of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of fifty with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baals above the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. So Ahaziah died, according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. And because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place, in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, 
Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Now he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. They said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they searched three days, but did not find them. They returned to him while he was staying at Jericho, and said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new jar, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, 
I have purified these waters. There shall no longer from there be death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came up out of the woods and tore up forty-two lads of their number. He went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. All right, so we see the end of King Ahab, and we saw the king die, and we also saw the end of Elijah today. So we go back a little bit to what happened with King Ahab and the king of Aram named Ben-Hadad, how Ben-Hadad was harsh and was just going to wipe him out and take whatever he wanted, and Ahab was going to let him. He didn't want to war with him, and he wanted to make peace with him. But then there were some conditions that Ben-Hadad was putting on them that he didn't want to accept. So then he got his army out there and was going to just wipe them out. But what I thought was very interesting was that a prophet came to Ahab, and the Lord said that he was going to deliver them into the hands of Ahab. Now, why would God do that to Ahab? Why would he bless him in such a way? Because we've seen up to this point that Ahab has no interest in God. He does what is evil in the sight of the Lord constantly. He hates Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, in fact. Yet he speaks to Ahab, and why? Because sometimes God does that where he uses evil for good, right? We know that. But we also know that when God has plans, his plans are sometimes way bigger than us as individuals, even if you're a king. And so sometimes he uses these people as his instruments to carry out his will. So it's not that Ahab was good in God's sight. Surely he was not. But sometimes God will use people for his purposes. But not only that, but even though Israel is severed from Judah, they are no longer one united nation, they are still his chosen people. And sometimes he acts with grace and mercy on them because he loves his people, and he's put his name with them. But the real reason we see that the Lord wanted Ahab to be a part of it was because of the way the king of Aram mocked him. Apparently what the king of Aram was doing was spreading this misinformation about who God was to a large group of people. And for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory, he used Ahab to humble him and to wipe him out. Because it says, a man of God came near in verse 28 and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said that the Lord is a God of the mountains, but is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give them all into your hand, so that they will know 
that I am the Lord. And a hundred thousand men fell in one day. That's a lot of men. I can't even imagine. But God did it for his name's sake. He didn't do it for anybody else. He did it to defend his own name and to demonstrate his power to these people. Now, quite literally, he is refuting what the king said, that he is the God of the mountains, but not the God of the valleys. But we know that on a spiritual level that the mountains are the high points of life, right? And we also know that the valleys are the low points in life, the difficult times. God is the God of both, and he declares it as such. But not only that, but quite literally, he is the God of heaven and earth. There is no part of earth that is not within his dominion. So we can see that from both applications here. So we see that Ahab, even though he was given a great victory by the Lord, he did not act favorably. He did several things that the Lord disapproved of. And because he discontinued to act disobediently, he was going to take away the kingdom from him. And then we see um, chapter 21 here where his wife Jezebel is a pretty terrible human being just like he is, right? And there is a vineyard next to his house, next to his castle, his mansion, whatever it was, and he wanted to make it into a vegetable garden because it was close by. And he even said, I'll give you a better place, but Naboth, the man who owned it, said, no, this is a family inheritance. He refused to sell his property because God gave him that as an inheritance. And that was in the book of Moses, that certain lands were given to certain families. And those are ancestral lands to where they pass from generation to generation. And he wanted to respect and honor that. This is my family inheritance. I'm not going to give this to you. I don't care if you're the king or not. And Ahab threw a literal spoiled brat hissy fit. You saw that? He didn't get his way, so he's like, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to lay in my bed, and I'm just going to pout and moan and groan. Right? You see, I read that as I was reading, and I'm like, man, he sounds like a three-year-old. And I would know, because I have a three-year-old. <laughs> and so his wife saw me. He's like, oh, why are you so upset? Well, he wouldn't give me the vineyard I wanted. So Jezebel's like, oh, okay, sweetie. You be a good little boy. I'll go get it for you. You know, so she sets up this whole conspiracy to kill this man and falsely accuse him of something. And they end up getting him stoned. He's like, well, here you go. Here's your vineyard. And then Elijah goes and speaks to Ahab, saying, all right, we, I saw what you did. And so you and Jezebel are doomed. I have pronounced judgment against you too. And when Ahab heard it, he actually responded in the best possible way. He recognized his sin, and he repented. And God was gracious with him. He said, do you see? How Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself up before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but I will bring it upon his son's days. So God showed mercy and grace to him because he humbled himself before the Lord, which is excellent. That's the proper thing that we're supposed to have. 
Then we see chapter 22, Ahab's final battle, where he goes out there, he pretends to not be king, he, he hides himself in the middle of the battle, and I love how God works, because he wanted Ahab to die. And so he had put these spirits into these prophets to speak from the Lord. And Ahab's answer for this one prophet, Micaiah, is, I don't like him, because he always says bad things about me. Or doesn't he understand that prophets speak what the Lord says? And if you're, you're tell, being told bad things that are from the Lord, isn't it the Lord that you're supposed to be concerned with, not necessarily the man himself? So he brought in Micaiah and said, hey, this time, tell me something good. And Micaiah told him stuff that was not good. And so he's like, all right, well, let's lock him up for a while. And he's going to stay there and barely eat anything until I get back. And then Micaiah said, if you return safely, then it wasn't God who told me any of this. Meaning that this came from the Lord. It's going to happen, sir whether you like it or not. And now I love how it's how God puts this in here in, in verse 34. Now a certain man drew his bow at random without taking any specific aim, and he hit Ahab right in a very vital part through a joint of the armor at chance, right? Quote-unquote chance. God can use anything that may be accidental to fulfill his will. And if we realize this, there is no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as fortune. There's no such thing as coincidences. There's no such thing as luck. Everything, even the roll of the dice, even the lottery tickets, which we shouldn't be using those anyway, but everything done seemingly random is actually in God's sovereign will. That blows my mind. The Whenever I started learning that, just imagining that though these things happen at random, quote-unquote, but it's actually God's direction. Wow. That's amazing that he is sovereign over the smallest, minute things. That's how much he is working in this universe. Because there's some people that tend to think that God is some sort of guy who sits on the sidelines. He created all things, and he they call it, this is the um, the way that they describe God as like a master clockmaker, which he created the clock, right? And the clock was wound up, and it runs. And because it was such masterful. Uh, workmanship on creating this clock, it runs by itself perpetually. It doesn't, it no longer needs the clockmaker. And so there's some people that tend to think that God did the same thing. He created all things, and it says on the seventh day he rested, and that's what he's been doing up until now. He's just been sitting by and watching everything unfold, as if we're some sort of giant ant colony on earth. But God is not that way. And as we see that he is constantly at work. And Jesus affirms this. The Father is always working. And even in the smallest, minute details of life, he's actively involved. How awesome is that? So nothing escapes his, his view. And so we worry about these things that are really not worries. 
if we truly understood how God is sovereign and how he's out for our good and for his glory, and we trust him with that, we have nothing to worry about ever. That's amazing. So we see Ahab fall this day, and he, his legacy was that he was an evil king, and his, his children after him were equally as equal. And since his son did not have any kids, that ended the line right there, as the Lord had proclaimed. So then we see about his son Ahaziah, and how that whole thing went on with looking for Elijah, and Elijah said that he was going to die because he had Ahaziah got sick from falling through some lattice, which is like those crossed bars that cover a window. Apparently he fell over, and so they wanted to go inquire of Beelzebub, and this is the same. God in the New Testament as well, Beelzebub, which is the Lord of the Flies. You know, and there's a book called that as well. But they wanted to go to him, and then God's like, Is there no God in Israel that you have to go all the way to pray to some pagan God? Do you not know that God is over Israel? And so he used Elijah to tell him that he was going to die, and he didn't like that. Well, who told, who said that to you? Oh, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle. That's got to be Elijah. It has to be Elijah. He's the only one who would say something like that, and that's exactly how he looks. He sent people saying, I want to come down here. I want to talk to you. Well, he was really just trying to get him killed. He was really just trying to get him to stop. And Elijah was like, no, but if and they, they they called him a man of God, and like, well, if I really am a man of God, let fire rain from heaven on you guys. And sure enough, it did. Twice. A hundred people died trying to get Elijah off his hill. And then the third guy humbled himself properly, and God said, go ahead and go with him. But you're going to say the same thing that you already said, and that is, you're going to die. And sure enough, the king died exactly as the Lord said. What a, what a surprise, right? Then we see the second time and the last time in human history that someone was able to live a life on earth and not see death. Not even Christ did that. And this was Elijah's time. So we have Elisha who stuck close to him very closely. And he wanted to follow after him and be his disciple in every single way. So now it mentions the sons of the prophets because apparently um, we know that there were not a lot, whole lot of prophets left at this time. There were some, as God had proclaimed. But Elijah was now instructed to start kind of like an academy or like a school for prophets to teach them how to be what they are. Elisha is his closest pupil, his closest disciple. And everywhere that he went, Elisha was there too. And Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken for some reason. I don't know how he knew that, but probably the urging of the Lord. But then you see Elijah say, What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Give me a double portion of your spirit. I want to be twice as much as you are. Well, this is kind of similar also to the law of Moses where 
the firstborn gets double the inheritance from the father, and the other sons just get a single portion. So you see that kind of similarity there in the law, and Elijah said, you ask for a difficult thing, but it will be done for you if you see me go up. And then right separating them, you see a chariot of fire come down with flaming horses, and Elijah gets taken up in a whirlwind. I mean, that's an amazing exit. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could leave the world that way too, but he is the second man besides Enoch to not have to die. So that just shows you how godly of a man he was. And then he says something here. Verse, Elisha says in verse 12, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What he's saying is Elijah was the strongest military power of Israel because he was the prophet of God. He was the chariots of Israel and its horsemen because God was with him and he was a huge instrument for this nation. Now, we saw that Elijah parted the Jordan River with a mantle, right? He touched it, he smacked it with the mantle, and it parted. This is where we deviate into Roman Catholicism and also false practices, because there's this idea that it was the actual object that had the power, that for some reason it was imbued with God's power in this mantle. And it may very well be. But this is where the concept of relics comes from. Because the Catholic Church, for example, claims that this is biblical evidence that relics are a real thing. That the power of God was in the mantle. And it did according to what Elisha wanted because the power was in the mantle. But is that true? Is that really the way we should see this? Or do we see it that because of what Elisha said? He said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He beckoned the Lord to give him power. So the power came from Elisha through God. It didn't come from the mantle. He had faith that he could do what Elijah did through the power of God as a prophet. And, he, and it did. That's what parted the, the Jordan. Not the mantle. The mantle is just an object. Everything is spiritual. And we have to see that because if we start believing that there's holy objects that grant you some powers, or if you have some sort of object in your possession, it grants you blessings, then we're taking the context of the Bible out of it. We're, take, we're making something that's not there and believing in falsehood. We can't be doing that. He trusted the Lord to part the Jordan. He didn't trust the mantle. He trusted the Lord. And then I kind of laughed at this one, not because I, I didn't want these 42 uh, young men to die, but apparently Elisha is bald, and I'm bald too. So... <laughs> They were making fun of him and, and mocking him because he was bald. And so he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and then bears killed them. <laughs> I mean, that's a very interesting thing to do uh, because they were cursing him. So let that be a lesson to everybody. Don't curse people that are bald because bad things will happen to you 
Maybe even a bear will come and attack you. Who knows? But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.